turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, you're welcome to flip on your screen or take a Bible that's there in front of you. I believe it's on page 812. Matthew chapter 7, we'll be studying verses 8, I'm sorry, 28 through 29. These are the Apostle Matthew's concluding comments to the Sermon on the Mount. For many months now, we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount and looked at kingdom living and the Lord's application for us as we live as disciples in this world. So this is it, we're, we're done if you missed some or you want to catch up, we have a podcast, we have sermon audio online that you're welcome to catch up with, and then we'll be moving into the book of Hosea in our next sermon series. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29, even though they may not be red-lettered in your Bible, these are God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative words to us this morning. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Father, we freely confess to you that we often skip over verses like these and think that they have little meaning or application for us, but Lord, they have great meaning. Great application for your church. And so we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and instruct our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have now considered in great detail the Sermon on the Mount and its implications for the Christian life. How we are to practice kingdom living in a fallen world and how Christians are called to radical kingdom living. We are called to be very different from the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And we are called to be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, it's important, as we conclude our series in this Sermon on the Mount, that we turn our attention away ever so slightly from from the content of the Sermon on the Mount. All three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, And that we turn our attention to the one who delivered the content. We must look beyond the preaching here and look to the preacher. The one who preached this sermon on the mount. This this is the whole point of kingdom living. Kingdom living is supposed to point us to the king. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is indeed the message of the entire scriptures. This is indeed... The meaning of all of Christianity. The Christian life is not about a set of rules or a set of steps that we must follow. It's not even about a particular philosophy that will give you the meaning to life. No, Christianity, kingdom living, is about a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. If we walked away from this wonderful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, without considering the king, without considering the one who preached it, then we've missed the whole point. And this is what the Apostle Matthew seeks to do for his readers with these concluding comments. 
verses 28 and 29. As wonderful as the content of the sermon it was, we are to go beyond the sermon to the person of Christ. So with all the teachers, all the other teachers in the world, past, present, future, and all the great teachers who have ever lived, the focus is on the teachings themselves, right? Those of you who are in college, have been to college, or any other professional school, some teacher, some writer, some author is always uh, given authoritative uh, stance, and his, his teachings, his writings are quoted, but for the Christian, there's something even more important than the teaching itself. That is the teacher. That is the one who gave these words to us. And so these two verses here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount point us to Christ. They drive us to Christ. They give us more of Jesus, which is what we really need. What is which is what is presented to us, which is what is shown to us this morning with the feast that is before us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, essentially, the vital point of all teaching, the main point of all theology, the main point of the whole Bible is to bring us to a knowledge of Jesus and into a relationship with him. And so let us Let us never leave the Sermon on the Mount. Let us never leave these great words of our Lord. And certainly never leave worship without looking and learning and loving more of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's not divorce His teachings from who He is. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is King. Specifically, in these verses, we learn about the person of Christ when we learn that the crowd's reaction, those listening to the sermon, the reaction was they were astonished. They were astonished at his authority and the authority of his teaching and preaching. It was unlike anything they'd ever heard. Yes, they'd heard plenty of teachers. They didn't hear plenty of preachers. But they had never heard of one who spoke like this. So they were astonished. If I were to do an in-depth study right now of the Greek word for astonished, you would find out with me that in Greek this word means dumbfounded. It means amazed. They they were overwhelmed. They They were beside themselves. That was their reaction to the sermon. Again, the folks were used to hearing teaching. They were used to hearing someone speaking authoritatively. But they were used to their scribes and their teachers of the law. And and, and what they would say is, you know, such and such or so and so rabbi, he said this and therefore we live this way. But Jesus said, no, I, I said this. And you live this way. They were amazed that the one who taught them actually possessed authority in and of himself. And so that's what these two verses show us this morning. Matthew chapter 7, 28 through 29, we are to learn about the authority of Jesus Christ. And subsequently, we learn why the disciples were amazed at his authority after he had preached this sermon. And so I want us to examine this morning... Six truths 
about the authority of Jesus Christ. Six truths. The first truth is Jesus has authority because he is the great teacher. He's the great teacher. He's the best teacher and preacher there ever was. The whole sermon from beginning to end is based upon the masterful teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, and actually I want to invite you to kind of feel free to flow with me between Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7 as we look at these truths throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, the apostle tells us what is going on here. The crowds were following him. Jesus set them down. He opened his mouth and he taught them. He instructed them. He was the great masterful teacher. He instructed them on matters regarding kingdom living, as we have been studying for some months now. But then, fast forward to the end of the sermon, here in verse 29, we see that he is the great teacher who taught them with authority. They couldn't get away from his message. They couldn't get over how important this masterful teacher was. And that's the whole emphasis of this sermon. It's that the authoritative teaching is, for, is from an authoritative teacher. This teaching, this preaching has weight, it has authority because of the one who gave it. The Lord Jesus teaches absolute truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he preaches and teaches truth. And so we're not meant to pick and to choose what teaching we like from Jesus and, and dismiss other things and say that we're really, he never talked about those things, so they don't matter. Nor are we to listen to revisionist wisdom that tries to say that Jesus did not talk about things like gay marriage or abortion or some of the other hard topics of our day and age. When you hear folks say those things, that Jesus never taught these things and addressed these things, it is a lie. It is false. Jesus is the authoritative teaching because the whole Bible is his word. The whole Bible is his teaching. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, we have seen that he has addressed a whole gamut of issues, especially as they relate to our day and age. So as the disciples sat, as they listened to the Lord, something amazing began to happen to them, as Calvin said. A strange, indescribable, and unwanted majesty drew him to the minds of men. They were hearing one who had authority. And they couldn't just walk away. The scribes or the teachers of the law, again, they would speak by the authority of these very important rabbis or teachers. But Jesus spoke and taught them with his authority, his own divine authority. Jesus has authority because he is the great teacher. The second truth is that Jesus has authority because he is the Christ. Jesus has authority because he is, a, is the Christ. It's important to understand that Christ is not Jesus' last name. Nor is it a title that we are to use as a swear word. It is his holy name. And this word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which in turn comes from the Hebrew word 
Messiah, which means anointed one. And so we say that Jesus is the Christ, or if you hear the, the Jesus called Jesus Christ, it means that he is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ. In the Old Testament, the anointed one, the Messiah, was the one who would bring healing, who would bring restoration, who would bring hope, who would bring salvation to God's troubled people throughout time and history. He was the one in whom the Old Testament looked for with great hope and anticipation. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was not just a, he was not just another prophet who came to point people to the Christ or to the Messiah. Nor did Jesus think of himself this way. He didn't just think of himself as a great prophet. Rather, he claimed that he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. And Jesus makes this very clear. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Months ago, we talked about the importance of the law. And Jesus said something very clear about the law here. He said, he, here in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, he teaches that he is the one who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The messianic hope has its fulfillment in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. The entire Old Testament was foreshadowing, was looking forward with messianic hope to the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And therefore, he has great authority. A third truth here, Jesus has authority because he is the Lord. He is the Lord. And I don't mean he's the good Lord. I mean, no, he's the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus states, as we studied some weeks ago, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Lord, Lord, we learn, is a confession. It's a confession of who he is. It's a confession that Jesus is not just a master, not just that he's just some authoritative figure like a Caesar or something like that. It's a confession that he is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. In the Old Testament, we learn that the proper covenantal name of God is Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that is above all names. It is the name that God gave to his people when he revealed to himself his name to Moses at the burning bush where he says that I am that I am. And the best way the Hebrew scribes and scholars could come up with it was let's Yahweh. That is his name. And the Greek word for the Lord in the New Testament is kurios. And kurios in the New Testament is the Old Testament equivalent of the name for God, Yahweh. Jesus is clear here and elsewhere in the New Testament that he is Yahweh God of the Old Testament. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He is Yahweh. He's the covenant God. He's the great I am. He is the redeemer of Israel. 
Jesus is the Lord, and therefore he has the authority. And that was astonishing to the Jews. The fourth truth here, Jesus has authority because he is the Savior. He's the Savior. Why do we need to understand that Jesus has authority as Savior? And why do we even need to worry about a Savior? I mean, saved from what? Why do you Christians keep talking about salvation and needing to be saved so much? The truth about us and the truth about all of mankind is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are objects of wrath. We are separated from God by our sin. The only way back into a right relationship with God is through salvation from our sin. Sin must be atoned for. Sin must be dealt with. And Jesus steps in and sacrifices himself as a substitutionary atonement on our behalf. He died on the cross for our sins. And therefore we lovingly and thankfully call him Savior. And in the sermon, Jesus is clear that salvation is not offered by looking deep within ourselves and just following your own heart. We learn that salvation is not going to be offered to us in the world, for the world and its ways are passing away. Rather, Jesus states in chapter 7, verse 13, he says, we are to Enter by the narrow gate and follow the narrow way. And Jesus is saying that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way of salvation. Jesus has authority because he's the Savior. Fifth truth here. Jesus has authority because he is the judge. He is the divine judge. The entire sermon is eschatological. Okay, that's that big word I gave to you all a few weeks ago. Okay, what does it mean? Eschatological means it's forward-looking. It's looking to the day of judgment. And we've learned back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, that we will all be judged, that we will all stand before the judgment seat. For the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a great comfort that we will be judged because we have the Savior who is our judge. Jesus is the judge. The disciples stood in all of the authority of Jesus after his great sermon because he stood there as the great judge. We must remember that the day of judgment will be terrible without a relationship with this judge. Jesus' astonishing authority comes from the fact that he stands there teaching them as the judge. The sixth truth here that we learn about Jesus' authority is the fact that he is the Son of God. Jesus has authority because he is the son of God. 
If you have driven down Highway 431 here lately, you will see this really terrible sign plastered up on the highway there. And this terrible sign says this. And if you put that sign up, I'm very sorry. We'll talk about it later. But that sign says this. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot. Obedience unlocks understanding. Signed, God. Has anybody else seen that but me? Oh, good. (laughs) I'm so thankful. (laughs) Well, this billboard claims to be the mouthpiece for God every month. So you can drive by it and shake your head with me. So what does that even mean? Well, I can tell you for certain this. God did not say what is written on that sign. I'm very sorry that whoever that is keeps putting that up there, thinking that he's speaking for God. Whoever that person is that put that sign up there, he he didn't have authority. What he is putting up there is adding to the scriptures, and it's actually not helpful. It's harmful. So parents, there's a good lesson for you, right? I've advocated over and over that a great time to disciple your children is in the car. (laughs) And so oftentimes when you're driving in the car, you're going to see some things, and it's a great opportunity to talk about God. And so when you see a billboard up there that you're pretty certain is not Scripture, and it says, sign God, it's a great opportunity to teach your children that we do not add to the Scriptures. God's Word stands on its own as authoritative. Jesus, as the Son of God, He is God. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the one who is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, purposes, and His holy word. Jesus spoke here in the Sermon on the Mount with great authority because His words were the very words of God. And He makes it very clear that the entire scriptures are authored by him. He is the spoken word. They are authoritative because they're his words as the son of God, not because they appear on a billboard. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you here. Let us make sure that when we when we talk about hot topics in our culture right now like marriage or abortion, or what is right and what is wrong. When we, when we talk about theology, and we love our theology here, don't we? When we claim to speak truth from God, let's make sure that we're getting our answers. Let's make sure that we're getting our conclusions. Let's make sure we're getting our truth from the Son of God who spoke the word to us. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one who spoke creation into existence. He's the one who sits at the right hand of God the Father and who rules and reigns over his church. He's the one pictured there, described in Daniel chapter 7 that we had in our Old Testament reading. He has the authority because he is the Son of God. The entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is is important. It's, It's good teaching. 
But it's not just a, a good ethic for nice, moral, Christian people to live by. The Sermon on the Mount is authoritative because it was given us to us by the King. And so we are to look to the one who spoke with great authority because he has authority as the great teacher, the Christ, the Lord, the Savior, the Judge, the Son of God. He has given us his words here to live by. And he's not shaking his fist at them the whole time saying, you know, you better read this and read this and write this and write this. He's essentially saying, look to me. Look to the Savior and see these words given to you. But these words here in the Sermon on the Mount, they are a great sermon. And they're not just words. Again, they're spoken to us by our Savior. And J.C. Ryle said, a religion which cost us nothing and consists in nothing but hearing sermons will always prove at last to be a useless thing. Yes, we're to study. Yes, we're to obey. Yes, we're to follow the Sermon on the Mount. But most importantly, we are, look to the, we're, we are to look to the one who delivered the sermon. The one who lived a sinless life and died a perfect death so that we can live with him forever. The one who possessed great authority is the one who would set aside that authority and sacrifice himself who would shed his blood and be killed for those who would follow him. So friends, let's don't just consider the words spoken to us in the Sermon on the Mount, but let us also look to Jesus. Let us love him. Let us follow him. Let us put our trust in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we again confess to you that we often want to boil down Christianity to just a set of words, that as long as we just look at those words and follow them, we'll be okay. But there's more to it. We are to look to the one who gave these words. So, Father, help us to look to Christ. Help us to love him more, follow him more. Thank you before that is set before us this morning, the means of grace, the Lord's Supper, to do just that, to point us to Christ, that we would love him more because of his sacrifice for us. Strengthen us, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.